Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Kason. I almost said the Dark Pixel podcast because we had just been talking about Dark Pixel like a few seconds before that. It was a just close, a few close <laughs> shave. I almost said it. I didn't say it. This is the State of the Arc podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about nonlinear storytelling and the challenges uh, that come with that, especially in video games. But before then, we've had a lot of news stories this week that we want to touch on. First of all, this is a warning to any of you, and there are a number of you who follow our channel who are into Kingdom Hearts. Kaysen's done some Kingdom Hearts content uh, once or twice in the past. Once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, they are always so well received. And they are. Kingdom Hearts 3 has leaked. Uh, yeah. The game is not supposed to be going on sale till the 25th of January or somewhere thereabouts. Uh, but I think about 30 copies of the game were apparently stolen, and By the dude Peter. has sold them. Uh, I'm gonna pull was this up. in Japan, or was this American? Or I actually don't know. Let's see if huh. we can find out. Here's the article I'm looking at. It says, Square Enix hotly anticipated Kingdom Hearts 3 isn't supposed to be on the market until January 25th, 2019, but some copies have already made it to market, leading fans to brace themselves for a deluge of early spoilers. On Sunday, the director of Kingdom Hearts 3, Tetsuya Nomura, issued a statement via Twitter confirming the leaks as legitimate, but also assured fans that the game's most surprising twists were spoiler-safe. Spoiler I don't know how he knows this. What? Well, let's see if he says anything about that. The game's Did the epilogue... version of the games that got leaked, were they not the final versions? I wonder. Maybe it requires an update. I don't know. Um, hmm. He says the game... Or, the article goes on to say, the game's epilogue and secret movie are not included in the disc release and will be patched into the game at a later date. Oh, so okay. that's like DLC, like day one DLC, basically. Kind of. Seems at least seems that way. Here's the statement. Huh. By that's Nomura. an interesting way of doing things, actually. It says we're aware that a small portion of Kingdom Hearts three has been circulating online before its official release. We are also aware as to how this has all happened. We're sorry to see this cause concern amongst our fans who are excited for the release. Um. The whole team has been working together since yesterday night, Japan time, to investigate what we can do to better this situation. Uh, but first, we would like to ask that you do not share these videos. The game's epilogue and secret movie, which are the biggest spoilers in this game, are planned to be released at a later date just in case, so they will not be shown before the game's release. We want everyone to be able to equally experience the full game after its release so we ask for your continued support on this matter we're also very grateful that our fans uh yeah that our fans have been warning each other already about spoilers thank you very much we're one month out from the release let's enjoy the game together when it releases on january 29th do you 29th. know what really really sucks Ooh, that says 29th uh he says 29th 2019 but she says 25th i don't know who to trust do I trust Nomura or do I trust I this girl from Mashable? <laughs> we can just look up. Kingdom this, girl Hearts. On, this girl on Mashable yeah. lying to us? They're all lying. <laughs> Get your story straight, people. January 29th. It comes out 29th, 29th. not okay, 29th. 29th. She was wrong. I, I should trust Nomura. Trust Nomura. Wait, That's wait, wait, what wait, we take. That's the moral of the story. Okay, this is insane. Kingdom Hearts 3 release. I typed into Google. The first thing that shows up, January 29th. Then I look and you know, on the side, Google gives you a little like sidebar sometimes, like profiling. Yep. It says initial release date, January 25th. 
Maybe. Is it 25th in Japan? Who do I trust, dude? And 29th in America? It, it could be that Japan gets it a few days before us. I do not want to show up at the store on the 25th and have wasted my time. Someone better get this get this straight. Actually, Straighten I don't us out, people. I you guys have any idea why this discrepancy exists? I have no idea if I'm going to buy it or not. But In Japan and Asian countries, January 25th and the 29th mm. elsewhere. So Japan gets it four days before we do. Uh, the Japanese are going to spoil it for us, dude. They're going to get They're it four gonna... days in advance. They're going to see the epilogue. They're going to see the secret movie. all of you Japanese friends. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to come into the chats of all the American streamers and spoil everything, dude. Yeah. Four days. Oof. A lot can happen in four days. Be careful, people. I know. So the reason I caught wind of this was mostly because Super Butterbuns tweeted it uh, oh, yeah. like yesterday. Yeah. And she was talking about how she's going to ban or mute a certain number of keywords from her chat so that oh, if somebody says this or that, like, it won't go in there. That's, that's, it's great that you're doing that, but if someone really wants to spoil it, like, they're going to find a way. So yeah. the, the message should be, don't We engage. dealt with this in the 15, Final Fantasy 15. It got leaked, yes. too. And, yes. Yeah. So... Uh, because let's say you ban the term Sora from your chat, right? Yeah. All the person has to do is spell Sora with a zero and a four, and yeah. they can still say what they want to say, right? Like the I learned that uh, playing RuneScape because <laughs> they ban swear words in RuneScape, but I yeah. just type them with like I just like spell them wrong. Exactly. So <laughs> the 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 thing I would do, especially since this is a game that people have been waiting for for ten plus years is uh, watch videos from people you trust. Don't go into the comments section. Yeah. Don't don't look at the chat. Don't participate in the chat on streams. And uh, just, for the most part, avoid forums, avoid This any is what place. I do anytime something big comes out <laughs> yeah. that I care about. I'm like, I go dark for a, lo a long time. Just protect yourself because they're, just because your favorite streamer has banned a list of 90 keywords and is doing all they can to try and keep people from saying stuff. It does not mean it's going to happen. We had, yeah, be careful. We had two or three mods who were closely watching the chat on that day. We did that full day stream before the yeah. release of FF 15, but even still stuff got stop. up even for just like 10 seconds. And then it's well, like Landon wasn't, wasn't able to get back from, I think he was still in Denver or whatever. Oh yeah. Yeah. He was gone. Yeah. And so he was watching too specifically. That's for right. Spoilers he was over in Denver. Yeah. And trying to like keep people out of the chat and you just, you can't like some I people banned are still... like 30 people that day. <laughs> and I, I, I was like, man, I was hoping I could unban some people after. Cause I, I was like zero tolerance. Like somebody even put a final fantasy seven spoiler in there just to be funny. Cause we were yeah. like no spoilers and they put a seven and I banned him immediately. And then I went <laughs> when you block people there's a list and you can see mm -hmm. it i tried to find a list of people i'd banned so that i could unban a few people because i was just ruthless i was like yeah. immediately drop the hat you ban, and you can't actually unban people so i'm like whoops some of there, our subscribers got banned that there thing. isn't a place in the chat on youtube where you can do that yeah but there is a place hidden in the channel where you can see the list of people you've banned Really? You can, can you unban and, them? Yes. You, there's just like a little X next to their name. If you press it, it just deletes them out of the banned list. Okay. So well, there's 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 a number of people in there. There's um, <laughs> a lot, <laughs> and I'm assuming probably most of them came like, from They that. probably don't even care about us anymore. Probably not. Um, and a lot They're of probably them. Like, oh, dude, I found this cool channel called Resonant Arc. 
<laughs> well, and a lot of them wouldn't even know because unless know. they're banned out of the chat, because you would type in the chat and not see your name come in the chat. But in <laughs> in in comment sections, you're just hidden. So you can type and so enter, no and you it. think that you're t- you're you're chatting, but or, or sending a comment, but no one else sees it. <laughs> that's a good way to do it. I like that. That's the way it works on YouTube. So, yeah. anyways, watch yeah, out. Be careful if you are um, excited for the release of Kingdom Hearts three. Many copies of the game have been leaked. Just be aware. Yeah, protect yeah, that's, yourself. that's frustrating. Okay, um, second thing I wanted to look at. Uh, there is a, a cross-promotion collaboration project for Monster Hunter World and The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. That's pretty now, cool. Now, this, this is a fetching collaboration that makes sense, right? Yeah, because Witcher's... Hunt monsters. <laughs> There's some weird collaborations I've seen out there that make me go like, "Huh? Like, why?" Yeah. But this one, of all the ones I've seen, this one makes sense. And I've been meaning to play Monster Hunter World. Yeah, me too. For but... a while, just haven't had time, haven't made time for it. But now I'm really gonna do it because this is freaking awesome. Uh, Capcom announced during its Monster Hunter World Special Developer Update broadcast today that a collaboration with The Witcher Three Wild Hunt is bringing Geralt of Rivia to the hunt in early 2019. Here's a new trailer for the collaboration. I'll put this up for a minute. But yeah, um, freaking stoked for this. Uh, Monster Hunter World was one of the games I was most impressed with last time I went to E3, uh, because I didn't go last year, but the year before that, um, they were showing Monster Hunter 3 in a couple of different places. You could go in with like the developers and they'd sort of like play through a section. Mm. And like that year, at E3, I think that and then, um, uh, what was it, Mario plus Rabbids were my oh, two yeah. games I was most impressed by E3, and yeah. I didn't play either of those games when they released. <laughs> but they were the two that I was most stoked about while I was there. That's funny. Um, but now I think I'm finally going to uh, go ahead and jump in and uh, play this game. So mm-hmm. that's coming in 2019. Any of you who are Witcher fans, Monster Hunter fans? You get a collaboration that actually makes sense for once. Freaking stoked. <laughs> it looks awesome. Congrats. Freaking sweet. Um, okay, so we're moving on from that to episode Arden. Prologue teaser. Okay, so the prologue, episode Arden prologue, right, is not the, the actual downloadable DLC. It's yeah, the, it's not episode Arden. It's, it's a little anime. A prologue, yeah. That it's just serves a as a prologue to... What's it going to be like? Is it play. like a, a movie or is it like going to be a couple episodes like Brotherhood? I don't think it'll be a couple. I think it'll just be one. One but, episode. So here's what I was hoping when I heard that they were doing Arden DLC, right? What I was hoping is that they were going to go back into his time period and that yeah. you would be able to play in that sort of Renaissance-esque world. Oh, they'd have had to have designed a whole new yeah. thing, though. That's what I was hoping because Me of too. all the time that was being spent developing this, right? Right. Like they announced it quite a long time ago, and I was hoping that that's they were designing maybe like an hour or two long little thing, kind yeah. of like um, episode Ignis was, where they they sort of built out yeah, new they sections. Built a new thing. That's true, yeah. And they would be kind of like that. That's that's not the case. Uh, episode Arden, yeah. the DLC is going to take place around the time of um, King when King Regis was younger still like fully capable with his uh using the 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 glaive weapons i forget what they're called um 
and uh, Noctis would have been very young at this time. And mm-hmm. so it's – which is weird. It's a weird choice for a couple of reasons. Huh. One, it feels strange that Regis doesn't recognize Arden necessarily in like um, Kingsglaive. Remember when Arden comes and he's like, oh, venerable, whatever, and he's like talking to Regis? Um, and Regis talks with him as if he knows that he's the, what do you call it, uh, chancellor of Niflheim or whatever, like knows yeah, of him, but not that he knows him personally, right? But right. in this episode, Arden DLC, like the trailer for it, they show him fighting him. So like Regis and and uh, and Arden like face off with like so the glaive were... weapons. What? Right? Huh. So... That to me was like, eh, I, I lost some interest in it after seeing that. But what my guess is, and we don't get to see much. I mean, I'll pull it up here, the, the trailer for it, right? It seems to me like maybe what this prologue thing will be is a bit more information about what happened in the past during our So, Arden's okay, time so they'll take of care of thing. that in the anime, and then yeah. the actual gameplay is going to be more recent. That's my guess, just based on the little that we're actually shown here, because it seems to show him struggling with the uh, with the star scourge within him. It seems Mm. like like the curse inside of him, but you don't really see much there. Right. So I don't know. I have no Mm. idea, but it seems to me like that's kind of a logical thing to assume that they're going to do, that they'll show the part that I actually cared to know more about in that little anime. And then you'll play this little section where he's he's like released from his prison that he's been in for hundreds of years or whatever, and then he immediately goes after revenge and I I would assume fails and then sort of like slow builds to come back and take revenge again during the course of the main game. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. But I was a little bit disappointed. <laughs> I found out that that's what they're doing. Yeah. Um, interesting. Anyways, uh, that's coming 2019. Look forward to it if you care. Um, let's talk about Sonic the Hedgehog. This is the last part of the stories from this week. This is the best thing ever. So many people are wondering if it was real or not so, when the trailer or when the poster first showed up. Yeah, uh, I had no idea that a Sonic the Hedgehog movie was being made at all. I did not know this. Yeah. Um. But it is, and it's a live-action film. So, like Detective Pikachu, <laughs> I guess that there you go. That actually yeah. is a good comparison. I think it's. I think but it's. Yeah, Pikachu looks whack in that movie too, man. Yeah, like, he does. It doesn't look right. It looks weird. Yeah, I don't understand why. I, I, actually, now that you bring that up, I guess I can sort of see it. There must have been something, some industry trend or something yeah, that, that the studios like, looked at this and was like, oh. A Pikachu, a Pokemon live action movie is being made. Let's do a Sonic one. Or I could see right. that being the rationale behind the decision to go ahead and try something like this. That's a good point. Sonic doesn't work. Has Son? Does Sonic ever around like real people ever? That the show is no. It's very cartoony. You, you see, like Doctor is it Doctor Wily or in the games? Okay, no, Doctor doc- Wily. Doctor Wily is He's a um, human. It's Robotnik. Order. Robotnik is that what it is? Uh, yeah, Robotnik and the glasses. Yeah, Doc or Doctor Eggman, the big dude Eggman. That's it, Eggman. Yeah, the big guy. Yeah. Anyways, Anyways I guess there are a few humans around, but they're very, um, very cartoonized. I guess like uh. the entire art design of Sonic the Hedgehog 
is just grotesque. Yeah. <laughs> when you try to like apply that to like a realistic look and, and even just seeing the outline, the silhouette of this character, it's just like what the fetch yeah. that is disturbing. It's weird because <laughs> um Sonic, how tall is he? Like this is one of the funny things when I played Mario Odyssey. When when you have real human-ish looking people in Mario Odyssey, Mar Super Mario is half their size. Mm-hmm. It would be weird for his proportions if he was actually as tall as all those people, right? Mario's yeah. actually super short. But I never thought that back when I was playing Mario and you get the mushrooms and you get bigger, you're still only half the size of an adult. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> Unless Mario doesn't have the whole mushroom thing anymore. I don't know. It's it's weird. Something's up with that. But I imagine Sonic being the same, about three feet tall. And he's going to be with all these people. It's going to be weird. Yeah. So one thing that did give me some pause as to just dismissing this entirely was the fact that it's being uh, produced by Tim Miller, who was the director of Deadpool. Oh, Um, so there could be a sort of funny because the voice of Pikachu in Detective Pikachu is Ryan Reynolds, right? Yep. 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 Exactly right. Which is okay. Well, (laughs) so anyways, there's a connection there. I, I bet you there is. There could be a tongue-in-cheek element to the tone of the film that might make it work. I don't mm. know. But well, anyways, Sonic has an attitude, don't forget. So That's very true. Tim Miller says that was always stage one of adapting it to what the real world is and what the real animal would look like. It would be weird, and it would feel like he was running around nude if it was some sort of otter-like thing. He's talking about adding the fur to it. Um it was always for us fur, and we never considered anything different. It's part of what integrates him into the real world and makes him a real creature. Um, mm. There was a poster, apparently, that was leaked. I'm looking at it now. I saw two. I saw the one with the legs and then the one mm. where you see his fur and he's silhouetted. Yeah. So like the one with the furry silhouetted, right? Uh, but yeah. let's see if, I thought I could pull up a, a larger picture of this. Maybe I have to actually go to the tweet. But if you look at it, anyways, it's kind of hard to see. It's a little small. But you can see the poster, and he's, he's just got his legs, like, out as he's, like, coming down towards the Golden Gate Bridge, looks like. Um, I don't know, man. It looks freaking weird. <laughs> uh, he is a naked, like, thing. Like <laughs> it, it looks really weird to me. <laughs> I know. And it makes I mean, me question is... the decision to do live action. Like, wh- who called for this? Yeah. Who called for a live action Sonic the Hedgehog? Why? Why do we need that? <laughs> he's, he's dark and he's fast. Like, why not just make it a, like a Pixar-like sort of, you know, CG movie? I don't. Yeah. It's it's perfect for that. Why why do live action? I don't get it. Um, Rob saying, ah, kill it with fire. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Mage14? How's it going? Um, anyways, yeah. I don't know what to think about that. It it just looks strange. And, and it, it brings to mind, we've had some discussions in the past about what properties should or should not be made into live action. We've talked about Zelda before, like whether yeah. or not Zelda should be made live action. It would be very difficult. To yeah. an to an even lesser degree, far lesser degree, far lesser, like, because he's a person. Even still, I feel the reservations about the Legend of Zelda being made live action. We've <laughs> yeah. talked about doing one in the past. We came up with we, what yeah. we thought would be some good ideas we for how to do good, that. 
But who knows, execution-wise. Yeah, like, how that would have been received. Could we have really pulled it off? And I, I, maybe, but probably not, because this is is hard. Trying to imagine uh, even a creature in Zelda like a Goron in live action is hard for me to, like, pull off right, to make it look realistic. Because it's always had that anime aesthetic, or the the cel-shaded aesthetic, which is... Like there's a there's a way the faces are sort of constructed and the the proportions of eyes and things of that nature that it, it just and it's actually the same reason why I I don't like the look of Advent Children and I prefer the look of uh, Last Order which is the anime sort of like um, retelling of the Nibelheim incident. Yeah. Um, Last Order I think aesthetically looks perfect. It's like the best version of Final Fantasy VII from a visual standpoint that I've seen. Mm. Um, I feel like Final Fantasy VII is an anime. It was, it was birthed. It was conceived with that look in mind. And so when you try to like bring a cartoon or an anime into the real world, it just falls apart. The hair, the eyes, like it's just very hard to balance the proportions there and try to make that look realistic. And uh, this to a far greater extent than something like Final Fantasy VII or The Legend of Zelda is just not going to work, in my opinion. It's Don't do this. Why are you doing this? <laughs> I don't even like the way Pikachu looks in Detective Pikachu. I think he looks weird as fit. He looks weird. because It's because of the fur. It's the same thing with yeah. Sonic. It's like you've got Pikachu. He's this little ball, and you can't tell if it's fur or not, right, because it's just smooth. <laughs> and then you try and make it in real life, and it's like, well, it has to be fur because he's kind of like a cat or something, I guess. And it, the the fur that somebody brought up the uncanny valley earlier, like yep. that's totally what it is. It it looks too real. It's like, whoa, this isn't Pikachu anymore. Stop. And then with Ryan Reynolds' voice, that makes it even more creepy. It's just like, yeah. no, this is not Pikachu. Well, and and the, the 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 attempt at balance, right, between this cartoon original design and then like trying to make it fit in or blend into a real environment with creates. The yeah. It, it it accomplishes neither. It, yeah, exactly. It it doesn't look right because it's uncanny from the cartoon, but it also doesn't look real. It doesn't look real at all. Like Pikachu yeah. does not look like a real living thing there in the environment in any of those shots, in my opinion. He still looks like a it's just, just this creepy, like weird thing that stands out and doesn't feel like it fits there. And this looks even freaking crazier and worse from what I can see, even just from the silhouette. It's just like, what the Yeah. <laughs> and be better than the next Star Wars movie. That's all dude, I know. The world of Pokemon at least has like cities that resemble the real world and yeah, societies and, and that sort of thing, right? Yeah, like hospitals villages. and houses. Yeah. And the world of Sonic, from what I can tell from the video games, is much more of like a... I mean, it has like uh, architecture you go into like, you know... Uh, Sometimes there's a highway going Yeah, like a highway or something like that. It's kind of like Mega Man, though. Like, there's a very, like... It still feels very removed from anything realistic in its yeah. designs. Except and, there's that one level in Sonic Adventure 2... Um, or Sonic Adventure, the one for the GameCube with the, oh. the cows, where you're I didn't, running I didn't around the speed of sound. It's playing that rock song, the and um, he's like, you're flipping cars up when you run into cars. They like flip around, and it's like actually a city. 
It's called mm. Escape from the City, I think. I haven't played that, yeah. Yeah. I guess my only reference that. my only reference is basically the Sega Genesis. Sonic yeah, the original. Song. Yeah. With like Sonic all the animals. Something like that, but there weren't any people. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It, anyways, it's weird. Yeah. I don't know what to think about it. We'll we'll see how it goes. Tim Miller seems like a pretty competent dude, but we'll see what they do with it. We'll see, man. Um, okay. Let's move into our main topic for this week. Um, this was actually one of the questions from Patreon. I decided to make it a main topic because it was a really interesting um, uh, question, and it was not something that was on our list of topics we were thinking of discussing, but as soon as I read it, I was like, dude, that uh, that should totally be one that we could make a video on, uh, possibly. So, um, hmm. it comes from Joshua Oji. says, uh, nonlinear storytelling is a big challenge, mostly unique to video games. What do you guys think about the kind of nonlinear storytelling where there are multiple endings, multiple viewpoints, and also has nonlinear story progression? He points to Blaze Blue, Continuum, Shift, Near Automata. Unfortunately, I've only played one of those three, and it is Near Automata, but I'll talk uh-huh. about that. Uh, what challenges do you think are unique to this kind of almost freeform structure that still needs to tell a complete story somehow? Um. Uh-huh. Do you have any thoughts on that before I kind of move over to this article? Non-linear stuff. I guess just like the reason non-linear doesn't work in video games, Mm -hmm. generally speaking, is because video in a video game, you're progressing. You're always going from one thing to the next thing. And especially in like RPGs, you're leveling up. You, you, and, and to, to all of a sudden step to a different point within the story, if you're still seeing the same character, um, there's a big question about what do you do with that, right? Mm-hmm. Is your character still... What level is your character <laughs> if you're going to be telling the story out of order a little bit? And if you have multiple storylines happening, which people bring up near um, near Automata and also to maybe a lesser degree with that is Birth by Sleep, the Kingdom Hearts game. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to make them into separate games almost, like separate playthrough like you have to play a whole amount once and then you have to go back and play the whole amount like again as a different character or something like that that seems to be the way that a lot of video games kind of get around that because having an actual story that goes back and forth it's confusing it's just really difficult Mm -hmm. yeah um rob says uh the topic goes very well with the last wish and that was what i was going to bring up right i think the key difference between yeah. Nonlinear storytelling in film or in a novel versus a video game is the element of choice, especially if it is broken up into sort of an open world structure. Let's say something like um, mm. like Breath of the Wild, where you can tackle any of those te- um, well, they're not temples. What are they called? Uh, the, the beasts, the divine beasts. Oh, beasts! Yeah, yeah. In whatever order you want, you can collect the pieces of the story in whatever order you want, essentially. Um, And that can all come together in very different ways, depending on who is playing and where they choose to go first and what they choose to do. And not so coincidentally, (laughs) uh, the story in that game is very... Well, I I think that... I I don't want to say it's bad. I want to say that it feels broken. It feels... um, It feels yeah, like it's not, not cohesive. Not it doesn't come together. It's not told very well, in my opinion. Right. Right. And that is 
I think the best example I can think of of why th- the open world structure without any limitations on it, right? Because there are a lot of games that are open world, but they're not fully open world. You can't actually go fight the final boss right off the bat if you wanted to, right? You'd have to, you'd find some roadblocks in the way that would sort of funnel you toward a story beat here, which will then open up this area and then you can go into here. Most games, even though they are open, their maps are open, and you can you, they give you some time. Okay, now you can go and do side quests if you want, and you know, right? They're not truly, like a break. <clears throat> yeah, they're not truly open world in the same way that Breath of the Wild is. In that, yeah. there is nothing holding you back from doing basically anything you want after you leave the plateau in the beginning. Yeah. So, anyways, the, there's there's so many variables, so yeah. many variables, especially when you introduce any element of choice. Uh, for for the narrative, um, I'm actually hearing music behind me. Let me let me go close the door real quick. I, I want to <laughs> sure. I want to talk about Breath of the Wild a little bit more. Um, talking about the Divine Beast because the first be. the first um, are you back on? I'm back on the first Divine Beast that you take on in Breath of the Wild is actually pretty difficult, right? Yeah. But because they don't know which one you're going to go to first and you can literally go wherever you want, um, you have a hard time on the first Divine Beast. The second Divine Beast, you kind of get what's going on now and you understand how to move all the elements and stuff. And it still may take a while, but you figure that out. By the, the third and fourth are actually, they're like easy. Mm-hmm. Because there's no like level, there's no standard of difficulty amongst all four. They have to yeah. all be basically the same level of difficulty, but yeah. you are progressing in the game as you go. And so whichever one you do first, is going to be hard. The next one will be easy. And the last two are going to be extremely easy because um, you're, you're well beyond where they could, the game developers could have known you would be at that point going into that, that yeah. part of the game. So that's an issue. I think I, I like in most Zelda games, the dungeons get progressively harder in different ways. And, and- Th- this same principle, like Breath of the Wild. This same principle you're talking about applies to storytelling too. Like if you mm. can't account for what has the player actually done before, yeah, you don't here, know, right? How do how do you provide information in a flow or in a way to where you can make connections? You can set up exposition. You can then you know build up towards a climax, and then you can resolve that. If you have no idea what information the player has coming into that story beat, it's like <clears throat> if you opened up a novel, let's say I opened up The Last Wish, which is a nonlinear novel, by the way, which is why Rob is bringing it up, right? This, yeah, this yeah. story is told nonlinearly. But if I open up to uh, just off the bat page 215, I just start reading right here. Well, what is it? Guess. I haven't the faintest idea, The Witcher said. Not even tra- I just start reading from right there. I have no context whatsoever. Yeah. How could you plan for that when you're telling a story as to like, oh, I'm going to start over here at the end. I'm going to read this one first. And it's like, even in this nonlinear story, right, where he jumps between the current time period and then kind of goes back and tells a story from his past and then comes back to the current time period and then goes back and tells a story from the past. All of those were chosen very deliberately so that you'll have key context about the character and his relationships with people and all that, which you will need to like really fully appreciate the story being told at any point you are at in it. Um, I have an article here. Uh, this is on 
gamecareerguide.com, right? Um, and uh, I thought that this was did a really good job of, of explaining this issue and the number of variables involved. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I will provide a link to this in the description on YouTube. Um, we don't need to go over what a, a linear and non-linear linear narrative is. I think we all understand uh, the difference between the two. <clears throat> but he goes in here into the types of non-linear storytelling. Whoops, let me be in the correct thing when I do this. Um, says there are two main categories of non-linear games and sometimes a combination of both, open world and branching. Open world often means the player is able to encounter different parts of the overall story in whatever order they choose. And that's the element here that separates it, like I was saying, from the way The, the, the Last Wish is written or from the way some films I'll be bringing up here in a minute handle it in non-linear storytelling in their movies. Mm-hmm. You don't have a choice I guess I guess you kind of do. Like you could fast forward to the middle of the movie if you wanted to, <laughs> or <laughs> open the right. book at a random page and start reading. But you know that's not the same thing. I don't think. Like right. that's not the intended um, way of experiencing it. In the same way that the intended experience in an open world game is for you to make a choice about where you start and where you go first and that sort of thing. Right? Like the um, like Breath of the Wild. Like we were saying. They intended for you to get off that plateau and point in the direction you choose and go there and do it however you want. So they're trying to account for all of the variables the player might choose in how they balance the game and so forth and how they reveal the story. Okay, he says, uh, in whatever order they choose or the player is able to access smaller, more isolated side stories in whatever order they choose. Think of quests in World of Warcraft or missions in Grand Theft Auto 3. So he's got a little graph here showing the open world and all these plot points and it's like you could go here 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 anyone you want and the more there are the more variables there are in in the order you choose right so here we have one two three four five six seven dots and if i choose the top right dot first but then i go to the one in kind of the middle bottom next there were six other branches there that someone else could have chosen to go to for go to first right and that just that just exponentially increases the number of different ways that you can approach this, right? It gets, yeah. it gets out of hand really fast. Uh, coming down here, he says, branching nonlinear stories are generally thought of as one of two styles. One, a tree that branches out with different endpoints, or two, plot points that converge or diverge like parallel roads to the same destination. The first option is much more difficult to implement due to programming and asset management challenges. That's the key. I think, um, because you know, it's very hard to tell a, a, a cohesive story in this sort of um, the open world method. Because, like, how do you account for where they go first and what information they have? You know, you get kind of a breath of the wild situation in the branching yeah. narrative side. You're still trying to guide them a little bit more, but you, 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 every time you have a branch. <clears throat> a choice that branches the story you've basically doubled in a sense you've almost doubled the story that you have to write because like, uh, if yes. i choose yeah, if i choose to true. go this way i have to write a whole story that is based on the one choice now but I, I also have to for re- you mike is this sure. the problem that george rr R. martin has run into in Game of Thrones? <laughs> <laughs> to some extent yeah i mean that's why he's struggling with um right with finishing this next book because he he's actually a ton of work for himself by having so many different storylines 
he's writing like seven novels for all these yeah. different characters he's got, right? So it's not it's not one story. It's a whole lot kind of like yeah. intermixed into one. And that's that is a good parallel to mm. how out of hand branching narratives can become as well. And and yeah. the reason why you you run into even in AAA games with like enormous budgets and tons of um resources and people working on them, this is why you get a situation like Mass Effect 3 where you thought your choices were going to lead to a branch of something like 16 endings, but really it's only three. They kind of converge them all into just these one of three things. Because it would have been insane for them to have actually yeah. carried actually, it out the way you thought they were going to be able yeah. to do. It's just, yeah. it's just completely out of hand. The amount of time, the amount of thought to, to make each one of those resolute and uh, satisfying and to... Um, you know, take the character into a totally different place or, or a totally different situation. It's just not, um, it's not reasonable to assume that you can do that, which is why games like um, Radiant Historia, they kind of handle it more like um, uh, choose your own adventure stories where mostly you make a choice and the, 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 the story just ends at that choice. If it's, if it's a bad choice, it's wow. like, I choose this, and that leads to a death or to a failure or to something bad happening. Go back and now choose the other one. Ah, uh, yeah. Right? Because that's way easier to manage than letting that branch off into a full-fledged story in its own right that just takes you totally off the rails of the original timeline. Um, so this is, I think, the reason why stories in video games that have an open-world structure or a branching narrative structure like this really struggle to tell compelling stories because it's just a matter of managing all the outcomes in a, in, and resolving them in a way that's satisfying. And that, that just becomes exponentially more difficult and more time-consuming the more choices that you give. Yeah. And it starts off with a simple choice, this or this. But from there, they branch off into this or this. And then those branch off, and it just like grows like crazy into something you can't control anymore. You know, one of the things that uh, Breno26, talking about Breath of the Wild, he said that it needed a stripped-back story. I imagine they thought the confusion of the memories could fit in with the amnesia theme with Link. The problem that you're referring to, that in in Breath of the Wild, Link can go wherever he wants to, and that that mm-hmm. creates so many problems with the web of storytelling. Um, and the way that they fixed that was, well, you just have a couple memories that hint at a greater story, and it you don't know when those memories happened, but that's fine because your character has amnesia. So it's like (laughs) he's getting his memories back and he doesn't even know what order they go in or when things happen. Right. But he slowly Mm. remembers stuff and, and you go through the game and, and that's the way that they chose to, to deal with the problem of not actually being able to weave an intricate story into an open world game, not just open world, but literally open air or whatever they call it, like open Mm. everything. You can do whatever you want. Right. And you still kind of have a story, but there is an element of like, you can't, you can't really have both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what, what a lot of games will try to do, you can kind of see this branching narrative um, graph here showing all the points reaching like the, the, the several different resolutions. What a lot of yeah, companies will do to try and mitigate that is a parallel narrative where you can make a choice but those choices will eventually just kind of converge into the same plot point. Yeah, instead of going out, then they come back in. Yeah. yeah. And that that generally, I feel, doesn't tend to sit well with people. 
when when you're trying to give them the illusion yeah. that they can make choices and take the story in their own direction and really role play, if you end up forcing them back into the same story beat anyways, that tends to feel cheap to people. It feels like you're you're not really giving them a choice. And if you're going to yeah. tell your story under the pretense that the player can choose, but then not really let them choose, I think that's only going to lead to disappointment. And this is essentially exactly what happened with Mass Effect 3. And, and the reason why Mass Effect 3 was such a huge, like debacle with the fans and why they were so disappointed because they they gave this promise in the previous games of all these different ways this could resolve and and you could take your character in the way that you saw fit and the way that you wanted to play it out but they essentially just boiled all of their different choices down to three and um people did not like that so you have to be really careful i think with how you present it in your in your marketing and in in what you're promising in the setup of the story because you can't um, blame them. You, they couldn't have really done what you thought they were going to do. <laughs> yeah. But you thought they were going to do it because they kind of led you to believe that they could do it and and they can't. Yeah. And it's it, well I I don't want to say they can't. It's just like do you want to take 20 years to make a game? <laughs> or, okay, they can, but yeah. So you know uh, I mean? if, if you took 20 years to make a game, it would come out on the N64 yeah. today. <laughs> it's just like you it's just <clears throat> I guess it, it, you are right to say that you can't do that, right? Because of what you just right. said. Well, you need AI or you, you can't. You know, it's just hard for one person to do that. Start a development for a, a certain console's life cycle and take the amount of time it would take to really plan all those 20, 30 endings out or whatever it is mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, in the lifespan of that console. You'd have to then. Yeah, in six years or yeah. Do all the work it would require to update your assets. And, and then by that time, it's just like you're, you're constantly behind the ball. Because the technology is increasing and you're having to keep keep up with that. But like you're still yeah. kind of planning out and, and eventually it just becomes unsustainable. Yeah. Um, I, I think you guys should read this for those of you who are interested. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but it makes a lot of really good points. But there's another graph here towards the bottom um, that I thought was really interesting. <laughs> just a, a hand drawn sort of like outline of the story, right? as uh, the house and the office and then just all these ways it can branch and flip back onto itself. And yeah, I see um, that. <laughs> and then move over from the house into the office and the, all these, it just becomes so complicated. And the more complicated something is, the easier it is to make a mistake and to, to, you know, not account for something and then find a plot hole. And then you'd have to, you know, screen that past a lot of different people who have different perspectives or play in a different way to really catch those things and just the amount of time and effort and the amount of people needed to really like cross all your t's and dot all your i's and really put a cap on that and make it really really excellent is insane comparatively to just writing a linear story (laughs) the classic beginning middle and end and this is the character and this is what the character does next and that leads to what's funny though (laughs) this this chart that you're looking at right now it really only details like three separate choices yeah that the person makes whether or not to do this thing and then whether or not to use a certain tone it it (laughs) this isn't when when you play it all through in your head this is not that complex. <laughs> it really isn't compared to what, you know, people do in just a few minutes in a day. You know, this is nothing. And this is but just it's based insane. on it's freaking insane. It's just based on a couple of choices you might encounter, like the beginning of something. It's not even like yeah. a fully 
fledged out like epic story on the level of something like Mass Effect, right? Like, See, that would be like a hundred of these or more. That would be like a thousand mm-hmm. of these. How? It who would, in their right mind could possibly keep track of all that? Manage all that, especially yeah, it's, by it's yourself. Impossible. It's this is where I think the answer to this is all in. Uh, remember, we had Emily Short on our yes. podcast. It's all and talking about how the AI yeah. can compute responses and make changes on its own. The computer sort of like evolving and making logical choices about what would happen in response to what the player chooses to do versus the uh, the, the, the writer, the story's writer. The writer in that sense would just create a setting in which... Here is the world. Here is who's in charge of this world. It's all the background. What the player would enter and the computer would make logical sort of like um, alterations to what happens depending on the input the player gives it. That's really the only way I can see a truly (laughs) open world story unfolding in a way that could be satisfactory. And a critique of that would be it's not very artistic. Yeah. But is it realistic? Yes. Sure. <laughs> it would be so realistic, but it would not be very artistic because the, the, the art would be simply in the design of the universe, not sure. in yeah. the storytelling. Not in the actual storytelling or even the dialogue to some extent. It's written by a computer. Yeah. yeah. So in any case, trying to find a balance, I think, uh, in the meantime, because we're we're still a ways away from anything like that becoming a reality. But in the meantime, I think that the answer is that truly open world is probably not the best place to tell a compelling story. Yeah. Um, it is a good place for people to go in and sort of just like mess around and have fun. Um, sure. and, and you'll notice that like some of the, the best uh, material content online that came out of breath of the wild where people figure figure out the craziest ways to yeah. propel themselves across the map yeah, smashing or, a rock and then jumping on it and having it like fly yeah fly over, over there, there or, or the the creative <laughs> ways they came up with for killing certain bosses without using a sword or a weapon you know yeah that to me is where the real value of breath of the wild was like was in people taking the tools that were they were given and creating their own way of interacting with the world and that i think if if that's if you enjoy that a video game donkey is a great channel if you like that kind of thing because that's almost what he seeks to do he's trying to find some creative cool way to, to play it he's playing overwatch and he's not playing it with the team to to go for the goal he's playing it trying to find the craziest way he can think of to kill someone or the 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 most inventive way possible to get across that map and knock somebody off if if that's what you like to do when you play video games breath of the wild is a gold mine for you yeah if you're looking for a tailored artistic experience that delivers um a solid like well-thought story truly open world like this is is not the place to find that so is there somewhere in between where you can find that i think that the answer is yes i think that mass effect up until the fact that they decided at the end that they're going to kind of converge into three storylines like mass effect one and two were marvelous really really well told stories extremely captivating 
and um and they gave that illusion of choice right so you yeah. feel like you're role playing you feel like you have a choice in it of course you don't really all of these branching paths have been planned and laid out and designed but you can kind of feel like it's it's a simulation of role playing <laughs> yeah. uh, you can't ever role play quite the same way as you will in a D&D session where the DM has got to sort of like on the cuff now like design something based on the crazy yeah. thing you decided to do which is or, what the ai would do in right which is which is yeah. what the computer eventually will be able to do the computer yeah. will that's a great point the computer will eventually become the dm of the game you're playing and the designers will have created the maps the world the lore the structure but the yeah. the, the ai is going to be your dungeon master while you're yes. playing the game. That's a good way and to think of it, actually. <laughs> while you're playing okay. the dun- the dungeon master, the computer dungeon master will sort of like create scenarios for you based on the choices that you're making. Yeah. Um, that's where real role playing will finally be possible in video games. And some pretty compelling stories will come out of that. And some very, very whack stories will come out of that where people are just trying to test the limits of the AI's ability to... Oh my gosh, think they're, the they're going to create... People are going to go crazy with when AI gets implemented and stuff like that because AI can pretty easily be prodded and goaded into yeah. like making like racist statements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like your kids are going to buy this game. They're just messing around like crazy. And eventually the game has created like this oppressive, tyrannical <laughs> regime. <laughs> uh, yeah. She, Emily Short actually talked about that a bit. The challenge is there, right? Um, yeah. Certainly. That was great. You guys should go back and watch that podcast. Yeah. Can't remember which one um, it was. But. You can, uh, for those of you, don't go on YouTube and search it. You have to go to the channel and go to the playlists. Click on the playlist oh, yeah, and go, go to, to the, the podcast and playlist, and then you'll be able to find it there. But uh, maybe I'll actually, I'll leave a link to it in the description of this video sure, as well sure. for people who want to just go look at it. Because I think but, that's super relevant. Very interesting stuff they're doing. But um, anyways, there are, there are games that do this to some extent, that I think do it very well. I think Mass Effect 1 and 2 did it well. I think yeah. that The Witcher 2 and Witcher 3 does it very, very well. The, yeah. the, but again, with The Witcher 2, for instance, right? You play the opening scenario-esque of the game, you come to a very important choice. Are you going to side with Roach, or are you going to side with uh, Yorvith, the elf? And from there, you have two different games now. <laughs> you go with Yorvis into a different area of the world, and you have a whole different set of story beats that happen there and characters and events or you go with roach and you go a totally different way and see you've you've now made two games you've forced yourself into making two games <laughs> into one and and the player yeah. is not unless they replay the game is going to miss out on half of the game that's crazy see and and, and even if you have so let's say you did follow mass effect 3 all the way to its logical conclusion with 16 different endings or whatever it is yeah your player plays it once, they get one sixteenth, essentially, <laughs> of the resolution of yeah. that story. And how do you justify all the time and effort that goes in and, and resources that go into asset creation and everything into creating 16 different endings that most players will see one, maybe two of them? They won't yeah. play all 16 to the, you know what I mean? It's just yeah. like, how do you justify that? It, it feels like a waste. Right. You're paying a lot, you're, especially to like your investors or whoever's funding this game to be like, hey, we're putting this much money into asset creation for this place that one sixteenth of the players might actually go to. 
So um, like they're got, not going to go with it. They'll be like, why? Yeah. Why do we have pick? Narrow down your storylines. Don't make that many. Exactly. We have Capdoc here says it can't be understated how interesting way of the samurai manages. Uh, how interesting way of the samurai manages to tackle multiple branching paths with genuinely different scenarios made possible by that single town small sandbox direction. I've not played way of the samurai. Uh, now I'll have to check it out yeah. just to see what you're talking well, about. Captain made a few comments earlier saying the way of the Samurai series centering themselves on single locations gives them room for the player to go on multiple story paths that are significantly different from each other from beginning to end. So yeah. uh, interesting. <laughs> I'll have to look into way of the Samurai. I haven't played any of them. So. Uh, hmm. DJ Granblue, you think Anthem will be able to capture what Mass Effect did well with the story? I don't. Um, I, I actually don't have a lot of faith in Bioware right now, um, ever since the acquisition um, from EA. Well, you know, like Mass Effect 2 was fine, but actually, was Mass Effect 1 cre- created after the acquisition from EA? Anyway, I don't remember. Mass Effect 1 and 2 were fine. Mass Effect 3, I, I think, think was Effect also... Was EA. Mass Effect 3, decide, aside from its original sort of debacle... And the fact that it does feel cheap, that the three endings, they did do a good job in some of their DLC to sort of give the resolution to characters that they were looking for. I think the first the, the first three Mass Effect games, even though the third one is significantly weaker, were really good. But anything they've made since then is just not even close, in my opinion. Uh, um, dr- the way the Dragon Age sort of trended, especially with the second one. But... Um, I, I don't know. I just think that this is a cycle that I see happen far too often. You have a brilliant developer who creates um, like a whole portfolio of really excellent work, and, and they become known for something in particular. I think Bioware, with its sort of this, this sort of branching path storytelling, they became very good at that with um, Knights of the Old Republic, uh, Jade mm-hmm. Empire, and, and a number of other games. Um, and Mass Effect sort of like carried that through to its peak, in my opinion. Then a, a, a huge corporation comes in and sees the success garnered by that studio. They buy them out and they start dictating all kinds of things um, that essentially ruin it. Uh, it just becomes too corporatized, too formulaic, and lots of things like yeah. nonsensical um, microtransactions that sort of like change the balance of the game, like in Shadows of War, you know. I, I mm. loved um, the that first Middle Earth game, uh, Shadows of Shadows Mordor. Mordor. Yeah, thought that was great. Uh, I think that was also WB at the time, but they were obviously yeah, smaller. They were taking less risks. There wasn't as much money put into mm-hmm. that, and they sort of let them do their thing. And then when it was like, "Ooh, that was a huge success," then when they're kind of putting a lot of money into something like that, that's when you start to see the bullcrap f- streaming into it. And this is what really concerns me about Ninja Theory, because mm. Ninja Theory cut their teeth by being an, an outsourced studio to work on big AAA titles, let's say like DMC. A lot of people didn't like DMC. But with um, they did uh, Heavenly Sword, which I thought was really good. And they then, of course, did um, uh, Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice, which is one of my favorite games of all time. And now they've been bought out by Microsoft. And the trend there is that eventually Microsoft will dictate all the decisions and, and will just really... Um, flood out and just destroy the artistic side of the of the decisions being made by the studio, and it, it just won't be the same. So no, yeah. I, I don't have any faith that Bioware will ever recapture sort of what they had in the past. But me neither. 
you know, this actually happened. <laughs> this I, you know, I love Korean dramas, right? I watch Korean TV all the time. Mm. There was a website called dramafever.com and great website had a ton of Korean dramas. They were doing really big stuff about three years ago. They got bought by uh, WB, I believe. Mm. And at first I was like, oh, this is cool because it's an American company that's recognizing that Korean media is like super big and popular and they're getting into it. And that that's going to secure drama fever's future. Right. Mm. But if you go to dramafever.com right now, <laughs> you get this message that says, thank you for nine great years. As of October 16th, drama fever has shut down. It is done forever. And that's bullcrap. They were doing really well. They were funding their own dramas. They were they were like probably the biggest site that people could go to in America to watch Korean television. And it was it was awesome. And some big company came in, tried to change things, screwed it up, and now they're gone forever. And it's like, ah, this happens everywhere. And, it's not just video games, you know. And big this companies is come in and they think they can make money off of it, and mm-hmm. sometimes they can, and sometimes they just screw it up. This is the reason why this happens, right? Before a, a, a company goes public, right? Like they have pretty much all the say in, in what they make, what they're creating yeah. and how it's done. The yeah, CEO, there's no board. There's the, no the shareholders. Shareholders. Not, shareholders, yeah. not the shareholders, the, um, the, the partners well, <laughs> of the business, the people who own it. They are yeah. the ones making the It'd decisions like the at the board. time. Yeah. The executives. The right? executive board, yeah. Then when a company goes public... Uh, they get all the funding they need. The, the, the idea is, ooh, if only I had this much money, which we're never going to come up with strictly on the profit of the business. Um, if I had this much money, then I'd be able to do this, 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 and this. And it's right. like, that's where going public comes in. You get all these shareholders, and now you have all the money, all the funds that you need to do, everything that you had imagined you wanted to do. And let's say even your first one is a huge success and, you, and, you, and it makes tons of money and all your shareholders are happy. The, the, the issue comes in the fact that, that it's in publicly traded in that space where you're, when, you're public, when, you, when your company goes that big, the expectation is always year over year that you will grow more, Make and, more, more and more money and more yeah. and more. And, and no matter how successful your first thing was, the second one is expected to be bigger. And yep. make even more money, and then That's more true. people are going to buy stock. And Otherwise, no one's going to fund your projects. Yeah. yeah. If without more people buying stock, the company doesn't grow, the value of the company doesn't grow. So you have to have it get even bigger and bigger and bigger, and you will always eventually reach a ceiling. People get fatigued. Uh, whatever comes up, we we've seen this before. Yeah. Then the company goes, "Oh, we're not selling as much as we were." What are other ways we can monetize this and run it as far as we can take it until people say, no more, this is bullcrap, I'm done, and then they shut it down, like Casey yeah. just read from that website. Yeah. That is the cycle of how this works. As soon as you go public, that is what you can expect to see probably over the course of the next 10 to 20 years. It's very rare for companies to survive longer than that. <laughs> yeah. uh, the ones that do... They find ways to innovate. They they give their creative people more room to really come up with new stuff. I think of uh, companies like Nintendo. Like, you know, they, they don't do the safe thing a yeah. lot of times with their hardware development. And that's kind of like the entire identity of the company. And people who are buying in hopefully understand that when they do that, right? And so they're allowed to take some risks and do some stuff that 
you wouldn't expect, which is why you get the Wii and then you get freaking the Switch, which is just like, yeah. that's not the way the competitors were going. That's not necessarily the safe route. That could have failed and the company, but the on, only the companies that do that are the ones that stick around or they get so big that they just monopolize everything and they buy everyone out like Disney and... <laughs> <laughs> and well, even like Facebook and Apple, like when Facebook bought Instagram, that was like freaking crazy. And it's like that was supposed to be a competitor that was going to make Facebook better. Mm. And instead, Facebook's like, I'm buying you. And then it's like, and then Facebook owns like Oculus Rift and all these other weird things too that they're trying to do with video games. And I don't think, I think they screwed up Oculus Rift. I really do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that thing was like on its way. Facebook bought it years and years and years later. It's like it's a thing, but it's not really what it what people thought it was going to be. Yeah, but I mean, anyway. you 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 will. I guarantee you, you will see this trend with everything. Everything, yeah. Everything anything that, that can make money, anything that's that, profitable, will be exploited to its maximum. Yep. And as soon as it starts losing money in any shape or form, you'll start to see some really BS tactics to try and milk it for all it's worth until it's run completely dead and into the ground. And so the the moral of the story is if you're a game developer or whatever, you have a company and you want to maintain the artistic integrity of that company, don't go public. <laughs> Do not go public. <laughs> yeah. Keep yeah. it. Keep it. Realize that you're never going to be a billionaire and that's okay. <laughs> you don't have and to be a billionaire okay. to make a living and to get by and to uh, do what you to love. To do what you love, exactly. You don't have to be a billionaire to do that. Keep your artistic integrity. Keep the thing the way it's supposed to be. Satisfy your customers. And uh, don't cop out. But a lot of people can't resist that. As soon as they see that kind of money, it's I know. hard to walk away from it. I don't blame them. That's a yeah. lot of money. But that's what happens. All right. Let's move on into our community stories and finish this off. Um, we have one... Uh, one, um, I don't know what to call it. It's a cover. <laughs> it's a musical cover, piano cover, of um, a song from Saga Frontier 2. This comes from Melchior Blade. Um, I will, again, link in the description. I'm going to sample it here for just a second. I'll go through the whole thing. just want to play it. This comes from Melchior Blade. From uh, It's Tobel, um, the original composer, Masashi Hamauzu, Beast composer. Final Fantasy 13, World of Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy 10, done a lot of stuff. Anyways, he did the Saga series as well. Um, Saga Frontier 2, piano cover, here it goes.
so it's so pretty. I just don't even like want to stop it. <laughs> <laughs> very very nice though. Uh, mix or, or cover there from Melchior Blade. Link will be in the description again. I'll subscribe. Tell them to do more piano covers. Um, but yeah, it's lovely. I, I really like it. Uh, good job there, Melchior Blade. Um, okay. Then we have a couple of questions to finish us off here. These will be kind of quick. First yeah. one comes from Daniel Imperial on Patreon. Or actually, sorry. First one comes from Daniel Burnham on Patreon. What's your current reading list? What are some of the best books you've read over the past year that you would recommend to listeners? So uh, I haven't read a ton, um, actually, over the last couple of years because uh, we've been working on the channel and doing a bunch of other stuff. So this is why I, I wanted to start book club in the first place was so that I could get back into reading again. Um, but one, one book that I did read uh, was Childhood's End. Childhood's End. Um, earlier this year. I've become a very big fan of... Um, oh, shoot. Uh, dang it. Getting his name. Hold on. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke. <laughs> I, I found it before I looked it up. Arthur C. Clarke and Isaac Asimov. Um, their, their science fiction novels are... I really, really like them quite a bit. I think we lost Kaysen. I think he's frozen. Anyways, um, big f I, I, I read um, a lot of their novels uh, a couple years ago. Uh, I read 2001. I read Rendezvous with, uh, with Rama. Um, got to Childhood's End uh, this year. But then I also read Foundation, iRobot, a couple others from Asimov, and um, fascinating stuff. But Childhood's End, I would definitely recommend for anyone, especially on this channel, who likes Xenogears, because um, Xenogears was heavily inspired by Childhood's End. It's a very short read. Um, you can get through it really quick, but just really, really fascinating original sort of like concept that he works with in that one. And so... Um, that's one that I read recently that I really liked. But uh, since we are doing book club now, there's a whole list of books. I mean, I don't even know where I would start with this. I'm going to see if I can pull it up and name some of the ones we have on there. Um, a lot of these are, um, of course, uh, science fiction, fantasy, but there are some outside of that too. Uh, one that Kaysen's going to mention here in a minute. Um, what was the book? I keep forgetting the name of it. Uh, by Fyodor Dostoevsky, uh, Crime and Punishment. Crime and Punishment. Yeah. Crime and Punishment. That's one that I think we're going to read really soon in Book Club. Um, that's a, we're we're going to read Mistborn, The Final Empire, next. And then after that, we're going to go to Crime and Punishment, I think, next after that. Um, but we have, uh, as a list of things that people have suggested that they'd like covered, uh, Rendezvous with Rama, uh, Necromon Necromomicon? Uh, Necronomicon. Necronomicon. The Necronomicon. It's like the Book of Flesh. It's like the Satan book or ah, whatever. Right. Vampire yes. Hunter D, Blue Moon Rising, Pawn of Prophecy, The Gunslinger, Deathstalker, Neuromancer, Foundation, Malazan, mm. The Lies of Locke Lamora, The Fool's Assassin, Metro 2033, which is actually I have a video game based on that. Uh, Red Mars, Night Angel, Childhood's End, 2001, Space Odyssey. Uh, Cloud of Sparrows, which is a historical fiction, I think. Or maybe not even fiction. It might just be historical. Um, that's Samurai, I think. Uh, the Mistborn series, Warbreaker, The Stormlight Archives, The Name of the Wind, 
the Long Price Quartet, iRobot, the Silmarillion, of course, the Name of the Wind, Dune, The Road, Ender's Game, Game of Thrones. I would throw in um, a couple of other, um, like the Magus and the Collector and the French Lieutenant's Woman, all from... um, I'm so bad with names. Why? Why is this a problem for my brain? John Fowles. John Fowles writes those. And then some Cormac McCarthy novels to throw in there too. Um, A few of them uh, that I'm really interested in. Um, Well, I've I've already read um, uh, the one the movie was based on, that one Academy Award. No Country for Old Men. No Country for Old Men, yeah. But then um, there's also one, A Child of God, that I've been interested in looking into um several others from mccarthy so we'll be reading all of those at some point in the future on book club so you can look forward to that um how about you Kazan? books you've read uh lately i haven't read a ton but lately i did read brave new world by aldous huxley recently Mm. that was really cool um i uh read the righteous mind by jonathan height (laughs) And that was crazy. It's all about, well, the subtitle of Righteous Mind is like why good people are divided amongst like politics and religion and stuff like that. And it's really cool stuff. Um, I like stuff like that. But I kind of like Mike, I haven't really gotten the opportunity to read all that much in the past year myself. Um, It's time sink. So I've only really read a couple of books. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll throw 1984 on there. Yes, Orwell. Read as much Orwell as you can. Orwell's a beast. Yeah, and uh, the that road book, to Wigan that, Pier. That book in 1984, when I read it the first time, I was so conflicted at the end of that. Like, I, I got what Orwell was saying, and I didn't necessarily disagree with his conclusion right. about, like, the nature of human beings and sort of, mm-hmm. like, with, with enough pressure applied, you know, you, you will... Uh, essentially like lose all of your morals and principles and just do what it takes to protect yourself. But part of me just did not want to believe that that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not optimistic. <laughs> I, I wrestled with it for a while after reading sure. it. I, it's a great book, but I just, I wasn't sure that I was ready to accept his conclusions. Yeah. Well, I should read it again soon. As but. time. I mean, he wrote that book like 70 something years ago. And as time has moved forward, a lot of his predictions are pretty dang astute and very correct. And we've seen a lot of them um, Mm -hmm. implemented in terms of the way human societies just kind of tend in that direction. But a lot of other things are like, I think he was a little more pessimistic than he needed to be. Yeah. There's been a lot of progress and a lot of maintaining of democracy and such in ways that Mm -hmm. he didn't think was was possible. Well, it's it's long past 1984, and we we haven't devolved into that yet. (laughs) We aren't that yet. So at the very least, it was wrong about the timing. (laughs) We'll see what happens in the next 50 years. (laughs) Anyways, um, we'll probably read that in book club eventually as well. Yeah. Uh, Wise man Matos says, "I don't have patience to read 1984. Animal Farm was enough." Yeah, I mean, Animal Farm is it's a good like pretend 1984. It's a good like short version. (laughs) Poor man's 1984. (laughs) Um, okay thank you for that Daniel Burnham last question for today outside of The Witcher what stories do you guys find best explore morality Mm. Um, well and this is where I came in with Crime and Punishment like yes probably better than any book I've ever read it takes and specifically 
specifically Dostoevsky, he was a contemporary of Friedrich Nietzsche, right? The great German mm -hmm. philosopher. And, and Nietzsche was contending that, um, well, Nietzsche is kind of like the one of the philosophical founders of what eventually is now become like nihilism, but not, not necessarily. It's just, he kind of laid the groundwork and people took it and ran with it. Um, but a lot of his observations were that, you know, that morality is, is relative. And Dostoevsky kind of took that and ran with it and, and determined that if humans can somehow manufacture their own meaning, which is something Nietzsche said would need to be done in the absence of religion, um, then what happens when people have every reason in the world to do something terrible and can justify it? Um, is there still some part of the human spirit that says, no, you shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. Even if you're pretending that that can't exist, that there is no divine spark in human in humans, right? There is no nature that can't be overcome by the mind. And <clears throat> Dostoevsky puts forth this, this um, scenario of, a guy who, and he's just, he ends up killing this, this, his landlord because his landlord is just so awful and is just such a mean person. And it was so easy to do. And he just kind of went and took a hatchet and just killed her and left. And everyone hated her. It, he did it. He did the town a favor, really, the way Dostoevsky kind of paints the picture. Uh, but somehow this person, based on what they've done, just tortures himself to no end after doing that, despite the fact that he completely rationally, I don't know if I should spoil the whole thing, but <laughs> he rationalized it perfectly in his mind. And he created his, he tried to create his own meaning to what, you know, what life can be. And he, in the end, he, he couldn't actually do that. Like his mind, his body, his, his, um, you know, his, his spirit would not allow him to actually, do something like that and continue living a normal life. He he was tortured for the rest of his life. And and the way the book kind of goes in the future, I guess I shouldn't spoil the whole thing, but it's a it's a direct like contention with a lot of Nietzsche's philosophies saying, hey, this may not be as easy as you think. And um, it was very astute and a very good like moral landscape kind of discovering discovery kind of thing. I thought it was a really good exploration of morality. I'm stoked to read that now. Yeah. I think I'm making I'm making the call. After we read Mistborn, we're reading Crime and Punishment. After let's that. do it. Let's do it. So look forward to that. It's it's another long one, but you know. And then we'll get back to The Witcher, not the next month, because the next month uh, viewers will vote, and then after that, we'll get back to The Witcher again. Okay, cool. All right, that is it, fellas. All right. Thank you so much for joining our podcast. We appreciate you guys. Again, if you want to reach out share your work with us so that we can share it on the community stories uh, segment. Um, do that. If you're making a game, you write music, you uh, write a novel, I don't know, any, anything you're working on, um, send it to yeah, us. Let us know. So we can share it and uh, send some people your way. Um, and of course, uh, those of you on Patreon, well, I'll, I'll get, I'm getting back into probing for questions every week, so we'll get uh, that to replace the community story section. If we don't have anyone sending us their work, we'll do um, community questions from Patreon. So um, anyways, uh, we got book club on Tuesday. We'll finish up the last wish and then we'll get started on Mistborn, the final empire. Um, 
and uh, we should have a new video for the channel uh, in the, the coming days or weeks as well. Uh, a couple of good ideas. I just finished up um, Suikoden, so I will be able to... Um, I'll be able to do my retrospective review on Suikoden in the next uh, month or so, next few weeks. Case is back. I'm back any, to say goodbye. Any, any parting words? I have I have no parting words other than um, be excellent to each other and party on. Party on. I gotta watch that movie again. I actually purchased it because uh, I think you froze again. Holy crap! I'm gonna end this now while we're ahead. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great weekend. Peace out. Peace.